Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. My family and I have been attending Beacon for a few years, and we love how the pastors reason through the scriptures every Sunday. We love the fellowship, the kids' classes, the singing, and oh, the cafe is great. So if you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet every Sunday at 9 a.m., 10.30, or 12 noon. We're located at 65 East Williston Avenue in East Williston, New York. For more information, visit us at visitbeacon.com. See you soon. Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you here at Beacon Church this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at Beacon Church. I'm the associate pastor, and so if you're setting up your sermon notes this morning and you're heading, please don't abbreviate associate, but I'm so glad that you're here. Um, Robert is our lead pastor. He's not here today because one of the things that we do at Beacon is we help to lead the Revive Long Island Network, which is a whole network of like-minded churches. And so some of the churches, especially the smaller ones, sometimes call us and they say, our pastor's on vacation and we have no one to preach. And we say, all right, so we'll come and help you. So Robert's actually preaching out in Huntington today. I'm sure they're going to talk about the New City Catechism from about two weeks ago, and they just don't know it, and that's fine. And I think that they'll really enjoy that, because we're, of course, in the New City Catechism week four, and today our focus, our topic really shifts, and we're going to talk about something different. We're going to talk about my favorite topic. We're going to talk about your favorite topic Your favorite thing in the world to talk about and think about. My favorite thing in the world to talk about and think about uh, myself. Today, we're going to talk about ourselves. See, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about God. And that's nice. That's a good thing to do in church. And, you know, we try to do that on a regular basis. And so two weeks ago, we really talked about what is God. And we talked about his essence and his attributes and what kind of makes him God. And then last week, we talked about the Trinity, How God is three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Both of those messages are available online. They're also in our podcast. So if you missed that, I would encourage you to grab them when you have a chance. Because the whole point of this New City Catechism is we take 52 topics over the course of the year. And we develop them in kind of an in-depth way. So by the end of the year, there's going to be 52 topics in Christian theology that you really understand and have mastered. And if we all can really make it there... That would be a tremendous amount of growth. I think it's a fantastic thing. And so today, we really are talking about ourselves. And that's not a joke. The question of Q4 is, how and why did God create us? So we've defined who God is. We understand him as best we can. And now we turn our gaze and say, okay, then why did he create us? And this, is, this has got to be, I think, the dominant question of humanity. People phrase it different ways. They don't always phrase it this way. If you take the alpha class, I think the very first session is called, you know, isn't there more to life than this or something like that? Because once you kind of get past this basic point, you know, you have food, shelter, clothing, you know, your kind of subsistence life is accomplished. Then you start to think about this bigger question. Well, why am I here? Why do I exist? What's the point? And what's really fun is you get to walk through this question over and over in your life at different phases and in different ways. So when you're getting ready to go to college or to be trained for a career, you start to ask yourself, why am I here? Why am I on the earth? What's the point? And so you sort of pick a career because you're thinking, that's, that's why I'm here. I'm here to do good in the world through my career. And so you pick that career and then your life is set and things are fantastic until you're like mid-30s somewhere 
And you, you might be married, you might be a ways into your career, and then you think, wow, when I, I thought I was going to be mid-30s and life was going to be this, but I think it might be this, and that's kind of weird. And then you think through this question again, well, why am I here? Am I really doing what I need to be doing? Am I accomplishing what I hoped to accomplish? And I've talked to many of my friends that when they're nearing retirement, they have the same question again. They're wrapping up their career and they look back and they think, well, I really thought that through my work I was going to accomplish this and that, and now I'm not sure that I did. Or they're thinking, once I'm not working anymore, I might lose the definition of who I really am. And you sort of grapple with this question over and over throughout life. So if we can nail this question, I think we would stand among some of the greatest thinkers of all time to really understand why we exist on the face of the earth. So that's our only goal today, to figure out probably the hardest question that mankind has grappled with over our entire existence, and be out early. That's the goal. <laughs> all right? So what is the answer? The answer is God created us male and female in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Can we read that together? Let's read. God created us, male and female, in his own image to know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. And it is right that we who were created by God should live to his glory. Now, this is not a specific verse in the Bible that we're quoting. This is kind of one of the, you know, it's the fundamental truth of Scripture pulled from so many different places in so many different ways. So what we're going to do is break down this statement and understand how each part of it is really informed and taught by Scripture. And so if you're a note taker, we're going to start with only God created us. That's your first heading. Just to talk about what that means. This is something people have wrestled with for, for all time. God created us. And so if you look at Genesis chapter 1, which is how the Bible explains the origins of the earth, it talks about how there was a, a seven-day cycle when the world was created. And you're thinking, oh boy, are we going to talk about whether these days were 24-hour days, where they extended periods? It's one of those for sure, okay? And so the, the world, but it's clear from Genesis that the world was created in, in stages and in moments, and each one, there were certain things that happened. So you could think, day one, light was created. It was divided from darkness. Day two, atmospheres created, divided from the oceans. Day three was a big one. Land was created. Vegetation was produced, which continued to grow, develop, and reproduce according to its kind, which is an interesting statement. The land itself reproduced according to its kind. Then on day four, the sun, moon, and stars fill the sky. Then on day five, God created birds, sea animals, and land animals who continue to grow and reproduce according to their kind. So God has, through the first five days, he's created land, he's created animals, he's created um, birds, and they have all started to reproduce according to their kind. Then the Bible on day six says that God steps into the creative process and does something brand new. This is what he says, Genesis 1. God said, let us make man in our own image. Us is informed by the Trinity. In our own image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So man was created in a special and a unique way, distinct 
from the rest of creation. In fact, this, this word here in the Hebrew has a very almost artisan-type quality that God formed, God created, God constructed. He made mankind in his own image. And just to make sure that we understand that it was in his image, it says it three times in two verses, right? Because God created it in his image, his image, his image. You should know in the image of God. None of the rest of the creation says it was created in the image of God. None. And none has this very personal, unique quality. To be formed speaks of, of, of passion, of care, of involvement. It, it speaks of a close relationship that when we were created, God made us and we really opened our eyes and we had a relationship unique and special with the creator, distinct from the rest of creation. And nothing else was made after man. The crowning height of creative achievement by God, the creation of man, to be formed in his image. So there's incredible value that comes from that. Because you realize that you personally, individually, have been created by God. He's not distant from you. He wasn't surprised when you showed up on the face of the earth. Even if the other people in your life were surprised <laughs> when you showed up on the face of the earth. Hey, it happens, okay? Everyone here who's kid after number two, you have to wonder, okay? <laughs> right? It happens. But God was not surprised. And this close forming, this close creating, doesn't only apply to the first man, to Adam. It doesn't only apply to the first woman, to Eve. It applies to every person who's been created by God. Look at Psalm 139. I have it for you. The psalmist talks about this personal relationship that he has with his created. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So look at this. Look at these verses. Look at the personal creative relationship between God and his creation. This is a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So I want you to read this with me, but I want you to read it in a different way. Okay, this is going to test your powers of observation. I want you to read all the pronouns that refer to either God or you. So God would be words like you and your. Me, that would be words like me, my, and I. Does that make sense? So you're going to be jumping in and out constantly. You're going to say all the words that apply to either you or all the words that apply to God. Are you ready? First word is mine. Second word is yours. You got it? Okay. For you. created my inmost being. You. Knit me. together in I. mother's womb. I. Praise you. because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your. Works are wonderful. Know that full well. Frame was not hidden from when was made in the secret place, when was woven together in the depths of the earth. I saw unformed body. All the days ordained for were written in before one of them came to be. Every single one of us has that, that personal relationship with our Creator. That gives you incredible value and worth. I don't know about you, but there are days when I'm not convinced of my value and my worth. 
There are days when I'm not proud of who I am. I'm not proud of what I've done. I'm not proud of what I accomplished. I'm not proud of the weeds in my grass. Whatever it is, there are those days. But then you come back to and you realize your value is defined by none of those things. Your value is not defined by where you work. Your value is not defined by the relationships you have, that you don't have, that you used to have, that you want to have. None of those define your value. Your value is defined by your relationship with your creator. Then as we move on through our answer and also through our text in Genesis, it was very careful to say God created everyone, male and female, in his image. Why is this in here? Is this sort of like, let's go back to male and female, because that's really what's critical. Why male and female? Is this like gender-inclusive language? Like if you go to the old Bibles, is it not there anymore? No, this is real. Is this like a participation award to make sure everyone knows they're included? No, it's not. There's a couple of things happening here, and I think the one that really matters is understanding mankind's relationship with the Trinity. Okay, hear me out on this. We talked about last week that God exists in perfect community, perfect wholeness between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The only way to truly exist as a loving God is to live in community. The only way to truly exist as a loving person is to live in community. And as we start to understand the nature of mankind was split between male and female, and it's when the perfect love between male and female comes together that you understand more and more about what it means to live and be in the image of God. You will have more opportunities to be selfless and others-focused in a male-female relationship than any other time in your life. Wives, you don't have to nod. We know. You'll have more opportunities to be others-focused. And if you wanted to take the analogy of the Trinity further, when whole perfect love between male and female results in a child, now you experience kind of three different types of perfect love in community. And God is saying, as I exist in a Trinity, you collectively, you people, exist in male and female. And by the way, it is a radically inclusive statement. Because when Genesis was written, which was not yesterday... The world had no value for women whatsoever. And God was saying, no, 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 no. Everyone is made in the image of God. There's no second class. There's no second best. Everyone is made in the image of God. Now, let's talk about to be in his image. Because now we've progressed. We've been made in his image. What is the point of an image? Now, if you read the Old Testament, the Old Testament has prohibitions on graven images, which is different. A graven image is an image created for worship. You know, like you would make a gold cow and worship the cow because you're thankful for the harvest. Okay, this actually happened. That's a graven image. We're talking about the image of God, which is totally different. And I loved one of the videos that the, the team sent out on Monday from John Piper, and he talked about this better than I've ever heard before. He said, the point of an image is to reference and honor the original. So when you have a beautiful sculpture, you know, if you have a sculpture of David, King David, done by a true master artist, it doesn't exist to replace the king of Israel. No one would ever say, well, now that we have this sculpture, we don't need the image anymore. It, it pays homage. It points us back to the original. An image 
is a wonderful and beautiful representation and a reminder of the greater thing. This is what artists are constantly trying to do. A true gifted artist will be creating images that point you to something even larger than the art itself. They're pointing you to this great image. And we being made in the image of God gives us the ability to create, gives us the ability to reason, gives us the ability to act in compassion and in justice. To be in his image now is to be his representative to show God's love here on the earth as his image. To image God is to bring God into all the situations of your life. We want to be this kind of image. And so when we see that we're imaging him in this world, we bring his beauty and his power. That's part of one of the fundamental truths that makes us Christian is that we believe every single person is empowered by God to serve God in this world. There's no first class, there's no professional servants, there's no people who are closer to God or further. God will meet you where you are at, and you can be his, his image here in this world. And his image is what gives you the authority to act in this world. One of the most image-based kind of authority examples I could ever think of is money. All money, pretty much since money was made, has had images on it. Who is usually on money? Who? Our money is presidents. We have, like, you know, the newest money around on the face of the earth, really. But before that, it was kings, emperors, generals. In fact, anthropologists love to study coins because, first of all, metal coins last a long time, so you can still find them. And you'll find coins stamped with different emperors, different eras. You even find coins that got overstamped. So there would be like you know some sort of coup in a country. They would collect the money. They would restamp their image on top, very you know, metaphorically, but literally to say the old authority is gone, the new authority is here, and here it is on the money. The only reason you can spend your money is because that authority is saying, I have backed this currency. It is real. So if you go in the history of our country, a bunch of people invested into the money of the United States Confederacy. When the Confederacy went out, that was just paper. See, if there's no authority behind the image, the image is useless. So the image of God on you is what empowers you to go out and act in this world. And when we really start to internalize these values, that each of us has a personal, creative relationship with God, male and female, and that we're made in his image, it really starts to change how we treat each other. Because I don't know about you, but I know a couple of people that are frustrating. Luckily, none of them came to this service, so everything is very relaxed, right? But they, 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 they frustrate me. I don't frustrate anyone else, but, <laughs> but they frustrate me. And I have to remind myself, you know, he's made in the image of God. If you don't love him, you don't love God. Every parent knows this feeling. Every mama bear knows this feeling. If someone is mean to your cub, you're, you, there's, there's no telling what's going to happen. They're your image. And so when you start to realize people are made in the image of God, it radically shifts 
how we treat them. And even in the simple things, think of this week, this would never happen to you, but sometimes even when you're just driving to church, it can be difficult to treat people in the image of God. See what I mean. Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into your, bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I load though? Does the jacket go with the shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents expected mother who doesn't have a parking spot these days i have been here 27 years i deserve respect oh yeah go ahead take my parking spot she listen she probably needs jesus more than me honestly use your mirror how long does it take to back out of a jesus give me strength this is so str honestly there better be coffee there better be coffee y'all are gonna make me park in a handicap spot oh look there go the homeschoolers i swear if somebody took the last jelly donut i will don't make me get out of the i will move hey, are that you on the ministry team not today okay oh you're gonna drive a lexus okay i know where your treasure's at not in heaven the sermon series is what putting others in front of yourself oh this doesn't apply to me I mean, for heaven's sakes, move out of the road. Look at this truck. Where are you going? A church or a Trump rally? Finally found a parking spot 15 minutes late. Oh, it is way too cold out here, but you better bring a shuttle or I will watch this service online. Jesus, I... None of you have ever had any of those thoughts. But we truly start to treat each other in the image of God. But then we take all of this and we say the point then, if you remember the answer, was that we would know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. Know him, love him, live with him, and glorify him. In my opinion, glorify wraps up all of those other ones. We can only talk about we are here to glorify him. Now, unfortunately, glorify is one of these words that's only a religious word. I don't like words like this at all. This is not a joke. I don't like words that only mean something like in the religious world and they're kind of useless in the rest of the world. You know, like if you and your friend decided to go to the garden and see the Knicks, you know, there's, there's plenty of seats right now to see the Knicks. And you're headed in on the train and, you know, you've got your Knicks jersey on that costs you like $120 even though they're going to trade him and the whole thing. And you're on the way in and somebody's like, oh, you guys are going to the game. You're like, yeah, yeah, we're just, we're going to go in and give glory to the Knicks. They'd be like, you are weird. First of all, you'd be the only two there to give glory to the Knicks. And it's just not a word that makes any sense. So we almost have to define this word, glorify, what it even means before we can set out to do it in the world. So I love this definition. Think of it this way. Glorifying is thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness. His, capital H, of course. Thinking and acting in ways that reflect his greatness. So all I have to do to glorify God is make sure that at all things, what I do, what I say, and what I think honor God. That's all. The biggest possible statement I think you could ever make. Just in everything you do, every second of every day, glorify God. This is, this is the thesis statement for our faith. And there's really only three things that you bring to the table. They're all T's. You have time, talent, and treasure. So are you taking what you have and are you using it to glorify God? In 1 Corinthians, it says it this way. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, 
Do it all for the glory of God. What a massive statement. And I think if you want, let's just think of it in three categories to kind of start this conversation up in our minds. The first one would be, do you give God willful priority? A way to to glorify God is to give him willful priority of your life. If you think through those three things that you have, time, talent, and treasure, is he first? Does he get the best cut of your time? Does he get the best cut of your talent, what you can do in this world? Do you put him first financially in your resources? Is he have that willful priority, the highest place in your life? Proverbs says in chapter three in the NIV, it says, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Or in another translation, the Living Bible, it says, in everything you do, put God first and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. It's intentional, it's willful to say, God has to be first. Nothing else can come before him. He has the willful priority in my life. You could think of it as joyful surrender. There are so many times in this life when you start to understand God's way, the way that he wants us to live, and you think, man, I I do not like that. I don't want to do that. Or you sort of give yourself an out in certain areas. You think, well, I'm pretty good on certain things, so it's fine that I'm letting other things go. When you really think of the law of God, when you think of his truth, when you think of his teaching, or you, you know, it's, it's even easier to compare yourself to someone else and say, you know, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit, but not nearly as much as that guy. So I'm doing all right. But do you have a joyful surrender to his law, to his ways? First John says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God. To keep his commands and his commands are not burdensome. That's what makes the surrender joyful. That's how we can say, God, I not only submit to your ways, I do it with joy. I do it with honor, with humbleness. Say, God, I know that your ways are better than my ways. I know that your thoughts are better than my thoughts. And so you begin to turn away from those things in your life that you know do not honor God. That will bring glory to him as you bring a joyful surrender to your life, to your habits, to your emotions, so that you can surrender to him in these things. A third one would be this. Do you regularly come before him in heartfelt worship? Yes, we do this here in this room as best we can every single week. That's not enough. Sitting together with your spiritual family once a week for an hour in worship is not a lifestyle of heartfelt worship. It doesn't mean you have to sit home and sing songs, although you might. That might be your thing. But do you sit at home? Do you meditate over his scripture in prayer? Do you regularly surround yourself with his beauty? Do you go out and find God's masterpieces? And when you experience them, do you feel your heart just fill with worship? Psalm 34 says, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We want to be people who live before him in heartfelt worship. That it's not routine, it's not rote, it's not a habit. But it's, it's, it's such an important part of our life that we come before him in worship. 
But to me, this is still too big. To say the credo of the Christian is to live for God every second of every moment in every way, and now we just take all of life and divide it into three categories. Because this is all fundamentally true, but I don't know about you, I like to leave here and think there is something I can do this week to understand how this truth applies to my life and how this truth can change my life and therefore change the world of the people who surround me. So I want us to break it down even more, but I can't do that for you. So I want to ask the band to come up and start to prepare because we are going to worship again together in music in just a couple of minutes. But as they're doing that, I would encourage you personally to think through your life. As we've been going through these categories, and there could be other categories that are more helpful to you, start to think through your life and think, where is an area that I'm not bringing God glory? Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to write these down. We're not going to collect them. I just want you to start to think about it because we're going to have a conversation with God about these things in our life. And so as you think through what's happening with you, as you think through those categories, maybe for you, it's that, that priority piece. Maybe you can think of a specific area in your life where God isn't first. You know it and he knows it. Maybe it's an area of joyful surrender. Maybe you can think through one habit in your life that you know doesn't honor God. Maybe there's a relationship in your life that doesn't honor God. Maybe there's a relationship itself that isn't so bad, but what you do together in private doesn't honor God. Maybe there's someone that you know that you, you invested in their life hoping to pull them up and instead they're pulling you down. Start to think through these things in your life. Start to pray even now. It's fine to just start tuning me out as God is really speaking to your own heart. Because I don't know about you, but when I started thinking about this in the middle of the week, I didn't think of one thing. I thought of 27 things. But I don't want you to do that either. I want you to think of something in your life where you know you're not bringing glory to God. And that's going to be what we're going to worship about right now. Then we're going to come together at the table of communion. And that's what we're going to pray about. That one thing in your life. Think of what it could be. It could be priority. It can be surrender to his laws. It could be that you need to grow in worship. That you're not really fooling to submit yourself to him in the time of worship. And then right now as we sing together, we're going to sing about our trust in him that we put our trust in God. Then we're going to talk about how Jesus took upon himself all of the sin of the world so that this thing in our life, which is keeping us from giving him glory, that it can be taken from us through his power, through his strength, so that all glory can be his and his alone. So as you think through that, let's stand and let's worship together.